From the studios of Teeing It Up in the swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up presents Danny Flecka um, with us here on a Monday morning. Monday, uh, May 30th, uh, 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 excuse me, Memorial Day Monday. We thank all who have served for their service, um, including your friend Nick, Danny, and with that, good morning. Good morning. Um, not an easy transition to make out of that, so let's just go forward here, uh, which is that the Boston Celtics are in the NBA Finals, and you're going to get two pods in two days, folks. Uh, one from Danny on just the Boston side of it and just an overall view of Game 7, and then Another one tomorrow from from Jared Dubin who's got kind of an inside look at it with the second spectrum um, uh, odd odd numbers uh, and kind of looking at the key matchups and where these two teams fall, which is really intriguing. I I think this is the better game seven. uh, uh, Sorry, the better finals matchup. um, And I think it's the better series than if it was Miami. Um, so, uh, no offense taken there, uh, for, for Heat fans did not mean any ill will towards you. I'm just saying that I think the better finals is the Celtics Warriors finals. So with all that being said, when you went into last night, game seven, knowing that Boston had squandered a chance to win this series at home, knowing their recent history in game sevens was not good, knowing that this squad has had problems getting over the hump. Where was your head at at, you know, eight twenty-five, and then what's your observations upon what happened last night? Yeah, so I mean, this Celtics team throughout this playoffs has really done you know two things that have really shifted the outcome of their games. Uh, one is that if they limited their turnovers and kept the teams that they played out of transition they have pretty much dominated those games. And the second thing was that if they just, you know, moved the ball around, if Tatum, you know, took his shots and was also a facilitator, their offense was able to do pretty much what they needed to do to get the job done. And I think we saw that culminate in Game 7. Um, in, all the, in all the games this series, when Boston limited their turnovers, got out in transition, and then limited the transition of the Miami Heat, they absolutely were able to dominate those games and get out to double-digit leads. They really forced you know Miami to be in the half court, which you know we saw throughout the series they were not comfortable in at all. I understand they've had injuries. You know they were out some of their players or, or less than a hundred. Yep, Kyle Lowry, Tyler Hero. Yeah, and I completely understand that. But, you know, we saw that, too, in the Milwaukee series, and we saw that in the Nets series as well, that if, if Boston is able to get into their half-court defense and limit turnovers and not let the other teams get into transition, that their defense is one of the best in the league and can really keep the games within striking distance if they're trailing or – if they're winning, you know, get those stops that allow them to, you know, extend leads. And, and we saw that in Game 7. I think in the first quarter they had 15 transition points. That kind of dwindled down a little bit as, as the game went on, but they were able to do that again in the third quarter. 
and Miami, except for that spurt at the end, which was a lot of, like, like late by the Celtics. We saw that happen to them in the Milwaukee series and in, in that game where they blew uh, the fourth quarter lead. I think it was game four um, or game five. I can't remember which game it was where they, they blew that lead and Milwaukee was able to win it. You know, they pretty much dominated that game uh, from tip-off. And a lot of it had to do with the, the turnovers being limited on their end, and they were getting out in transition and forcing Miami to play half-court offense. That type of basketball, it, it's pretty consistent. I, I don't really think, you know, the number. I think the numbers will tell you that too if you did a deeper dive into it, but that's going to be key for them in the, the next series. Um, I, I came away from this series for them feeling less confident, I think, in them potentially winning an NBA championship. I thought that after the Milwaukee series, you know, they were in a better spot. I think this series did a lot to show their warts. And also, it was just a, you know, it was a bad series. Even though they were able to win it, I thought they were the better team from pretty much game two on. It was a tough series to watch. It wasn't a fun series. There wasn't a lot of like good offensive basketball being played by either side. Uh, you know, I, I think things will open up a little bit against Golden State, but it was, you know, I don't know about you. I, I, every game, I was like, man, this is a tough game to watch. It was, it, it was not. It was two teams I think that were just more interested at times throwing haymakers at each other rather than maybe executing, you know, the game plan that they had. There have been some series. Uh, in these playoffs, and I go back to the the Memphis Golden State series as a perfect example, where th- these these games have just gotten extremely physical, um, and you know you kind of get out of the momentum and vibe and and rhythm of the natural game. I I, th- I thought that the start that Boston got off to was was really essential. We know that Miami's a late arriving crowd. Nothing against you Heat fans who just tend to arrive late. Um and it was also pouring rain, which doesn't help matters in terms of energy. Um and getting off to that start is really essential and I think that one thing that you have to do against the Chase Center crowd and against the Warriors, and they're going to have to do this on Thursday, is knock down their shots early but be efficient while doing so. There is no better ball movement team in the 2000s or maybe in NBA history than the Golden State Warriors. And now you give Steph and Clay and Draymond and Poole and Looney and uh, Kuminga and everybody who's a part of that roster and, and Steve Kerr, time to heal up, time to rest, and time to game plan. And the formula against Boston, to your point, turnovers, don't let them get out in transition. Um, don't let Tatum get his spots. Uh, don't let Jalen Brown drive. Don't let Smart get the physical finesse plays, especially at the rim. There is a tactical way of playing against Boston that's very well known. Um, there's no secrets with, with Boston. It's very out there in the open, and I think this series exposed it. Meanwhile, the Warriors held their first media availability yesterday for the first time in forever, and they're like, yeah, we're just chilling back here, and hey, we may get Otto Porter back, we may get Gary Payton back, and you know they're going to get pieces back while Boston's a hobbling group. And 
I think that um, the, the formula is out there and it's going to be very interesting to see if they can do something like getting Tatum or Brown to dribble drive to the basket and get Draymond Green in foul trouble. That to me is like, that's the first thing that I think about in, in, in this matchup is can you get Draymond Green in foul trouble? Um, because I think if you can, that changes things. But if Boston can't hit their shots, can't hit their spots, and you get someone like uh, Derek White, who's an unsung hero, uh, reminds me kind of of Duncan Robinson in the Heat Championship Series uh, from a couple of years ago, or, or not the Heat Championship Series. Uh, the one that, that, that they went very far in in the playoffs. Um, that, I think, is a perfect example before losing, I believe, to the Lakers in the bubble. Um, that, to me, is a perfect example of, of kind of the formula that's out there, the formula that's known, and, and now a question of who's going to execute better. Yeah, I think from a, a roster standpoint, the Celtics and, and Warriors really match up well. I think that both teams have, have X factors on each side. I think the Celtics' length is going to be an issue for the Warriors. I think they're going, also going to be one of the more athletic teams that they've played in the playoffs. The you know, Boston is extremely athletic with every single individual they're going to be putting out there. You know, this is a key for them. And, you know, it's like for any team that goes up against the Warriors, is that you cannot take your foot off the gas at all, ever. You have to be focused for 48 minutes every single game. Yeah, we've seen the Warriors punt games this offseason, this postseason. They might tell you differently. It's very clear that there have been games that they've gone into it, and it's like, it's not happening for us. We're going to just reset and then take the L. Uh, but, you know, Boston has, has an opportunity here. I think Tatum and Brown definitely present problems for them on the, on the outside, on offense. Um, defensively, they played well. You know, Marcus Smart's going to be asked a lot to probably stay with Curry and Poole. Um, and the, the key for them, I think, is limiting, like you said, Draymond. Draymond is, is not going to shoot the ball. You know, he's not going to shoot the ball, so you don't have to really worry about that. And from, from there, you have to be able to, you know, stay on your assignments and know that, you know, the, the ball isn't going, going to stop. They're not a dribble, you know, they're not going to take it to the hoop as much. They're going to be looking for those perimeter shots. So you have to, as Boston, um, you know, just stay disciplined. But I like their, I like their chances and I like their matchup, to be honest. Uh, I think they match up well, usually with Golden State in the past. Um, they've been able to, to hold them in check. Yeah, this is obviously a seven-game series, not a one-off game, but I do think that they have the opportunity here um, to really present some difficulties for Golden State um, as they move forward in that series. But they, they have to be smart every single game, uh, and, and that goes without saying when you play a team with the caliber as uh, Golden State. Al Horford, to me, is also a key factor in this series uh, because – he may not look big when uh, on on TV, but when you get those down low shots, you can see the size, the effort, the hustle that he brings to this Celtic squad. I'm curious, living up there in Boston for all these years now, um, who's the most beloved guy? Because if you ask 
you know, Nick fans, for example, in that 90s run, they may love, you know, Patrick Ewing, but it's the Oakleys and the Masons, the, the, the rough and tumble guys that kind of get the most love. Um, so, so while clearly Tatum and Brown are, are, are probably the best two players on that squad, as there's another um, flyover here of some kind of military aircraft probably for some kind of Memorial Day remembrance ceremony nearby. Um, who's the most beloved guy up there? I, I think it, you, you just said his name, Al Horford. Um, he's had some big games this postseason, more in the Milwaukee series and I think in the Heat series, but I, I don't think they're this far without him. You know, they've weathered the storm of um, Robert Williams being hurt this postseason. And a lot of that has to do with Al Horford. You know, he's been a stalwart there on defense. He's getting you rebounds. He's moving the ball around. He's hit some big shots from the outside when necessary. Um, he kind of, to me, keeps that team in check. Now, when he's on the floor, they're more organized. They're more disciplined. They understand their assignments. He's not going to make big mistakes when he has the ball in his hand. You know, he, he's definitely a pass-first big guy, but when he has those open threes, he's going to take them, and he hits them pretty consistently, so you can trust that you know, it's a good shot during that possession. And he's given you you know, good physicality down low when he's, when he's down there. So I, I think he's been the biggest piece for them this, this uh, postseason. Again, I know Tatum and Brown and Smart are going to get the accolades, people are going to you know, understand that those are the guys that are going to make their offense go, but I think on, on the other end, it's been, it's been Horford that's really anchored this team throughout this run with just his, you know, the way he's played and the minutes he's been able to give them at his age. You know, not a lot of people thought that this was a good trade for them when they made it, and I, I think it's paid out in dividends for them during this course of this playoff run because, you know, if it wasn't for him, you know, they would be down a big guy with Robert Williams being out. Uh, you would have to rely on Tice. And, you know, he's given them good good minutes when he's been in there, but he's not somebody that can, you know, change the course of a game like Al Horford can. So I think it's been him. And they're going to need seven, possibly seven more games out of him just to really, you know, get to the spot they want to get to. But, He's been phenomenal watching him. Every game I come away with watching him, I'm like, this guy, just want, he wants it more. You can tell the first time that he was here in Boston, for whatever reason, it didn't end well. He's put that behind him. He's embraced what he's had to do. And he's really, I think, gotten this team over the hump um, this year with just his leadership and the way that he plays out there on the court. Danny Flecko with us here on Teeing It Up. Um, as we look to the future right now, as we sit here the morning after Game 7, if you were to take a guess, what's your prediction for this series? This is tough because I was under the impression the Celtics would get the first two games at home because um, they were the number two seed uh, in the East, but it's you know starting off in um, Golden State. So, you know, they have to steal one there. there there's, no, there's no other way to look at this other than you have to leave Golden State tied 1-1. It can't be 2-0. I think that's too big of a hill to climb. Golden State's playing with some great confidence. 
you know, they seem to be on a mission as well. This this um this postseason run. You know, my bias is, is wanting the Celtics to win this series. If it goes seven, I, I, I think they have a hard time winning in Golden State in game seven. It's been done before, but that was obviously with LeBron James and, and that cast of characters. If the Celtics want to win, they got to win in six. And if Golden State wins, I think they win in seven. But uh, I'll lean. Again, I'm, I'm going to be a little biased here. I'll give the Celtics the, the series in six. Um, I have Warriors in seven. So I just think they're the better team. I think Clay being back is such a big X factor. And if they're on, and this is a long time being off, a week off, um, and being able to get healthy and if they get some of these uh, pieces back, which, which is a big, a, a big one. Um, but if, if it's here and if it's real, then I think, uh, you know, you get um, uh, Warriors in seven in what's going to be a really cool series, I think, for everybody involved. Danny Flecka with us here on teeing it up. With full disclosure to, to the folks out there that, that you didn't see all 90-plus minutes of this game, we have the Champions League final, Real Madrid beating Liverpool 1-0. Here's my question. Paris is a major city. Paris is a, is a you know, it, it's part of a soccer-loving country, a football-loving country. How in the world do you get these bottlenecks that, that, that cause a delay to the start of this game that have, he said, she said, uh, blaming on, 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 on all sides, you know, people wrongly or rightly blaming Liverpool supporters for this. What in the world happened here? That this should be simple. This is not like this happened in some remote place on earth. This is a major city that could not handle the second biggest soccer event in the world, what 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 happened here? I mean, we saw it at Wembley last summer in the Euro Finals. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe that these places are out of practice with handling these types of events uh, with COVID and everything. But there's just been, you know, I, I think it's a little bit of everything. There's a lot of you know intricate factors. I think that go into it. Not being there, not being, you know. There to understand exactly what was going on. I think a lot of it's like due to the restlessness of the fans, you know, an opportunity for them to do something that, you know, was taken away from them for a number of months. Um, the pure excitement of the event, you know, people have to get used to being out in social settings again and, and following the rules of those of those engagements. Um, I think a lot of it more is maybe on the people than the facility or the city or anything like that just because of, of what's been going on uh, in the world in general. And, you know, I don't want it to be a political uh, rant here, but I, I think it's just, you know, understanding the rules of society again is still taking place, and, and you see it here in this type of scenario. And, and you know, obviously soccer fans are some of the most passionate fans in the world when it comes to, you know, supporting their sides, but the people at, at some point do have to take responsibility and understand that, you know, we, we can't just create mobs and enter facilities and, and 
you know, overwhelm the infrastructure that we have. You know, there's got to be some decorum on, on that side. So, yeah, that, that's how I look at it. But, you know, we saw it happen last summer, too, in England. Um, you know, there was a lot of issues with that final when Italy played England at Wembley, um, especially that one because there was, like, a limitation on how many people there could be and everything else like that causing maybe some confusion. But, you know, I do think a lot of it maybe just the people in general just, having to re-acclimate re, uh, themselves to how they have to do certain things when, when the time comes. Real Madrid wins 1-0. Put a, 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 you know, a, a final sentence, uh, a final paragraph on this Champions League season. Yeah, I mean, Real Madrid had a, a quite a run. Um, they were dead to rights against Manchester City, came back and won that. They weathered the storm against Liverpool. Um, you know, I, I looked at the statistics. I watched the highlights. You know, did a little bit of a deeper dive when I had the time to look at it. You know, Liverpool should have won that game. They had the possession. They had the shots. They had the chances. They got big saves from their goalie when necessary. Um, again, they weathered the storm, and when they had an opportunity to put one in the back of the net, they did so. And that's really what it comes down to in these types of games sometimes. You know, We've seen it at soccer a lot. You know, teams will concede possession, uh, hoping that they can be efficient when they have the ball in the attacking third. Real Madrid got that one chance, and that one chance was good enough for them to, to put in the back of the net. So, um, you know, they, it was quite a run for them. I don't think anybody expected them to, to pull it off, but their resiliency throughout the, the tournament for them definitely paid off at the end. There you go. Um, paying it off at the end. So now here, here we sit on May 30th. We, 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 we enter the summer. Um, and we got Danny Flecka with us here on, on teeing it up. And what I, where I want to go to next is that every NFL fan right now is praying that no one gets hurt during OTAs and, you know, some kind of off-season program, mini-camp, whatever. And you get silly, stupid headlines that come out. We, we talked recently about Mac Jones looking all perfect and ripped and jacked. And, and this is, um, you know, just something that we've done a billion times to, to talk about teams and guys or whatever's that, you know, this, this team's going to be awesome. This team sucks. This team has infighting. This team is whatever. But it's not happened in the, in the National Football League more, most recently. It's happened in college. And it's happened with Nick Saban versus Jimbo Fisher. So, Danny Flecka, whose side are you on? Team Saban, Team Fisher, or Team I don't care about this damn thing? I'm on, I'm on neither side. You know, I look at two men here that are just petty in what they're, what's happening. You know, you, you have Nick Saban here sitting saying that, you know, things are, you know, he needs more money, he needs this and that, you know, because the nine national titles he's been to aren't enough. He's complaining he wants parity, but he's created the system that they live in right now, and obviously people are going to go to an extreme to beat him. So, you know, he's looking at the situation, understanding that, you know, he might be losing a step, which is probably harsh on his end because he's probably still going to have the best team in college football this upcoming season. 
Then you have a guy in Jimbo Fisher, you know, who, you know, has all these recruiting class victories and everything, but still can't put together a solid enough season uh, on his end to, you know, go to the college football playoff. And, you know, it's just a lot of just pettiness on both sides. Um, you know, I think both both coaches should just worry about what they're what they're doing. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that college football is the cleanest sport in the world. We all know it's not. There's all sorts of back-channeling happening, and there's all sorts of stuff that was happening before NIL, too, in some way, shape, or form. Um, it, it all comes out at some point, but at the end of the day, we under, you have to understand you know, the environment that these guys have created for everybody, and it's really their own doing. You know, Nick Saban has created an environment that has been ultra-competitive and forces people maybe to go outside of their comfort zones because they have to be able to you know, beat him, and they want to keep their jobs as well, so they're going to do what they can to, to unseat him, but, you know, if you're Nick Saban, I think you're you're sort of just, you know, crying wolf here a little bit, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. I still think at the end of the day, Alabama will have the best team in the country come September and probably make it to the final again against some SEC team, so I think it's just a little bit of of these guys just being a little bit too full of themselves and trying, again, everyone will come out and say it's them being competitive, but I do think it's a little bit just pettiness between the two of them. Jealousy. (laughs) Nick David finished second in the recruiting classes, and we all know now that recruiting classes, that, that number really means nothing at the end of the day because of the environment. Again, the transfer portal, the way kids move around nowadays, these classes don't mean anything because I, I wonder what the percentage is going to be of these guys in these classes actually graduating from these schools. Probably 50% or so. So I, I don't know how it really actually impacts what their, what their long-term goals are with their roster building, but... You know, the environment in college football has moved away maybe from a, you know, a training and development to more of like a free agency type model, which we see in the NFL, um, minus the pay that these players are getting potentially. Um, it's becoming more like the NFL in that sense. In uh, 90 seconds or less, anything else you want to bring up? No, we got the finals coming up, and then baseball will be king for a little bit, but, you know... I think I'm excited. I'm excited for for the next couple of weeks to see what you know the Celtics can, and Golden State can give us. Hopefully, they end this end the season with a good series because overall, I think the playoffs have been a little bit underwhelming. But um, just looking forward to see what you know what we get out of that. If health reigns, this has a, a a chance to be a sensational NBA Finals presented by YouTube TV on ABC. Starts Thursday, 9 p.m. Eastern time. Danny Flecka, thank you, as always, for joining us on Teeing It Up. All right, man. Enjoy your day off, and and thank you to everybody out there that that served our country. Amen. Thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.